Hey guys, it's Liz Kelly here with two quick announcements before you start the show. We have officially launched the Ringer NBA show's Twitter and Facebook feeds, so be sure to check out at Ringer NBA on Twitter for the latest news, analysis, and rumors from the Ringer crew you know and love. And check out Ringer NBA on Facebook to chat with like-minded fans and our Ringer NBA talent. Also, be sure to listen to our first narrative podcast called Halloween Unmasked. Our host, Amy Nicholson, deep dives on the famous Halloween movie franchise. There are new episodes being released Mondays and Thursdays for the whole month of October. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, on to the show. It doesn't totally make sense on its own in the song, but when you're watching in the movie, it's perfect. And I I have seen it twice now and cried both times. And I have seen that scene a thousand times in the trailer. I just think it's tremendous. Maybe it's time to let the old ways die. I'm Sean Fennessy, editor-in-chief of The Ringer. And this is The Big Picture, a conversation show about love, romance, music, and A Star is Born. <laughs> to talk to me about A Star is Born, I'm joined by the co-hosts of Jam Session and Ringer editors Amanda Dobbins and Juliette Littman. Hi. Guys, Hello, Sean. What's up? I'm excited. This is great. Guys, give me your instant reactions to seeing the film. You both saw it last week. Juliette, I'll start with you. I had a great time. I was blown away by Bradley Cooper. I knew Lady Gaga was already great, and she was indeed. And it was like a touch slow. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Quite a take. Mm-hmm. Amanda, you're a little more medium on Gaga in general. Yes. What did, but you were anticipating the movie. What yes. did she think? I was overwhelmed. I really loved it. <laughs> Listen, I am, I, I have a lot of bluster, but at heart, I'm a really sentimental person. And this is like an intensely manipulative, over the top, sentimental, old Hollywood style film obviously based on a lot of old Hollywood movies. And I love that. I'm a sucker for that every single time. I liked La La Land, and I like this version of Star is Born. Here I am. Julia, not as taken with the sentimentality. I, I liked it a lot. I was just really, like, distracted by how good Bradley Cooper was, yeah. like, to the extent that mm-hmm. I had a hard time focusing on much else. I was just like, how is he doing this? Did he talk with this voice in between takes? Mm-hmm. Did he go full method? And then there's so many stories about, like, all the ways he basically trained for this. Like, he approached, like, an athlete, basically. And that, and, and that um, also, in, in hindsight, makes the press tour make a lot more sense to me. And so I just, I've just been thinking so much about Bradley Cooper. And I, I also just, like, I love Lady Gaga, so I'm like happy to have new Lady Gaga music. So that's a, pl- a plus. <laughs> I agree about Bradley Cooper's performance, and I'm on record as like basically not being into Bradley Cooper, and I thought he was incredible. And the movie's obviously about him, which like we should yeah. parse. It's hilarious that he directed himself in this film, and it's a rich text that I'd love to talk about. But I thought he was fantastic in it. It does not make the press tour make more sense for me. It makes the press tour make less sense. Okay, what do you mean by that? Yeah, because he is so charismatic in this film. Like it's amazing, and you just want to watch him in every single frame. Like even when Lady Gaga is singing on stage, and he's kind of in the corner of the shot. I'm just looking at Bradley Cooper, yeah. which is not normally how I respond to Bradley Cooper. And there is a chemistry between them. There is just a whole um, presence, for lack of a better word, like a real movie star vibe that he's got in the movie. And then on the press where he's like a robot. It's I, I like I don't I can't reconcile them because there's no there there in person. We, I mean, we've seen this before. And, and Chris and I talked about this a little bit last week, talking about movies that are coming out this fall. For whatever reason, Cooper just has a mode of operation when he's selling a movie and doing press. And we've mm-hmm. seen the story before. Obviously, Taffy Ackner's story in the New York Times Magazine was the most overt version of this. But him keeping himself from the press in some sort of performative act to, to 
artistry and realness, I guess, this sort of like saving something true about himself so that we don't see it so that he can put it all in the movie. Now, whether it's effective or useful for the movie or not, it's kind of hard to tell. I completely agree with you both, though, that this is through and through Bradley Cooper's movie. I wrote about it last week. It's a movie star part written by a movie star, shot by a movie star, focused on the movie star in service of him. And I think Gaga is actually quite good. And I was surprised by how subtle she was, even though when she's singing, there's a lot of over-the-top Gaga-ness. But Mm -hmm. as an actress, I was expecting her to be Ryan Murphy, American Horror Story, and Mm -hmm. she's not. You know, she kind of inhabits this somewhat real person stuck living with her dad in, I guess, like, Arcadia, Los Angeles. Like, it's kind of hard to tell where in L.A. she lives, but, man, Cooper just— He's, he steals it. What do you guys think this means kind of for the celebrity of both of these figures since, it, you know, we catch them at an interesting time in their careers? I think there's a tension between what Lady Gaga wants to be and, like, what she's best at. Mm-hmm. And I th- I think that um, she is just such a raw talent who can be, who is, like, also, like, moldable in, like, a surprising way. So many pop stars aren't like that. Like, they are one thing and it's hard to get away from that. Like, even Whitney Houston, who acted and has, like, this, like, landmark sound- soundtrack was... Um, like a ballad singer and like belt and like belted songs out more than anything else. Like Lady Gaga is is more of a Swiss Army knife than that. But I, I think that she has a very specific view of herself that imbued the character of Allie. Yeah. Can I ask you, what does Lady Gaga want to be? Because I don't understand that about Lady Gaga. And I also think that the movie doesn't know what who she wants to be or who Allie wants to be. Yeah. And it's like the major flaw in the movie for me. But you as I am not a Lady Gaga yeah. fan. I never have been. I don't really do theater kids. But you like her. Yeah. What does she want to be? Like, I, I think she wants. I think she wants to be um, like an an over the top icon who also can. Like, I think she wants to be almost like female Elton John, basically. And that'd uh, be great. Yeah, I love Elton John. <laughs> but I think that. But I think that she the theatrics are still really important to her. But mm-hmm. the, the the theatrics of like pop stardom, not necessarily the theatrics of like. A nuanced performance, basically. So uh, Lindsay Zolads, I thought, had a really insightful comment about this. And we'll talk to Lindsay and Andrew Redadaro later in the show about some of the weirdness of this movie. But mm-hmm. in her piece about it, she compared Gaga to Cher, which I thought was smart, given that Cher sort of over time morphed from this sort of pop cultural flower child with Sonny Bono mm-hmm. into kind of a diva songstress. And then, you know, particularly in Moonstruck and the work she did in that movie, um, became kind of a thoughtful movie star and uh, consider it not necessarily subtle, but someone who really belonged on screen. And I never saw Gaga in this way before. And now I kind of only want to see Gaga in this way. I don't know if it would be less effective if she wasn't belting the way that she does in a movie. And and that really makes you, it really wins her over for you. But I don't know. What about, what about Cooper? What do you think this does for him as a as a famous guy. So this was very clearly his play to become a respe- an auteur, a respected director. He wants to, you know, he keeps calling Clint Eastwood Clint and he wants to be in that level. And I think it really helps him. I think it was a gamble. I was quite skeptical. Uh, I, the movie is really effective. I think it's going to clean up at the Oscars. I think he'll, I would put money on him wanting for actor and not director right now just because I think the performance is so astonishing but the fact that he did direct it just gives him a level of credibility he's not just the hangover guy anymore and before this movie you could just say he was like the hangover guy who was also in some like problematic but interesting maybe David O. Russell movies and now (laughs) he has directed a, a real hit on the note of his directing I thought the first montage of him playing on stage 
was hilarious. And mm-hmm. um, the like really like the blinding lens flare that then yeah. like gave way to him with the guitar was like so, it was like someone should have been like, dude, come on. Like, let's, uh, let's not go with it's that. It's hilarious that he did it, but it was also effective. <laughs> and I don't usually fall for that type of propaganda. And especially now with Bradley Cooper. And I was like, wow, I've seen it twice now. Works both time, guys. There's a really, really looks good on the screen. There's a really similar shot in Almost Famous. It's the first time William Miller is standing on the side of the stage and he's watching Russell Hammond play like, uh, like in Stillwater. And I was like, this is like, it's like we're all Bradley Cooper watching Bradley mm-hmm. Cooper play the movie star. And it's like, He's living out his dream, and I thought it was funny. I mean, it's really that he decided to make this project for himself, and this is what he saw in himself, and this is what he wanted to put out in the world about himself, is I will be thinking about it for a long time. Well, there's a couple—we could draw some conclusions about his personal life, and and then I think we can draw some conclusions about his ambition. Obviously, Bradley Cooper is a sober person. Mm -hmm. He's He's clean. And the fact that Jackson Maine is completely riddled by alcoholism yes. and drugs, there's there's clearly a correlation there. There's a, something that he wants to tell in the story. If he doesn't have daddy issues, I'd be shocked. I'd sure. be completely shocked right. because there's so much going on between the Sam Elliott character and man. In the, in the sort of like man-crying Hall of Fame, the scene between Sam Elliott and Bradley Cooper right near the end of the movie when they yeah. are in the truck together and Bradley shares his real feelings about his brother yeah. is like, that's that's canon for guys talking about scenes that destroyed them in movies. Um, <laughs> not women. I was talking to my wife about it last night. And she was like, yeah, that was fine. Yeah, but, uh, I'm the same way. Everyone's been responding to it. And I was like, it was okay. I thought the Andrew Dice Clay character blew Sam Elliott out of the water. I'm the only person who thinks that. I, th- I think he was great, too. Yeah, he was great. But also in this scene when Bradley Cooper breaks down crying with Gaga in rehab and he mentions, he was like, your dad. And he's like weeping about. His father-in-law also in that moment. You're right. It's a dad text. I mean, it, you guys got to work that out. Very much a dad text. Um, and then, you know, also, I think you're completely right, Amanda, that he's trying to make himself into an auteur, you know, a, a big, respected Hollywood filmmaker. And he's using old-school classical structure to do it. And I think some of this movie is about him for sure, but some of it is just him knowing this is a great way to spotlight myself in the savviest mm-hmm. way possible. I'm wondering what kind of future he sees for himself after this. I mean, uh, you know, I think for most people, he is the hangover guy. If you look a little bit more closely at his career, as Rob Harvilla did a couple of weeks ago, Mm -hmm. you see that he's very aspirational and has always been and has tried to do good work, but inevitably finds himself getting cast as kind of the fratty asshole. Juliet, do you think he can make kind of a transition to a fully respected, significant actor-director? Probably not. I thought it was, like, noteworthy that the mule... Uh, trailer played before yeah. Stars Born. This I is was, Clint Eastwood's new movie. The yeah, movie, yeah, which looks good. Love a drug mule story. I think it depends on also like how much he like w- is willing to like play the game, which it seems like he wants to do as little as possible. But part of the talking points of the press tour was that like he, uh, Clint Eastwood suggested that he do this movie earlier, and he's like, "No, I'm not ready yet. I haven't lived enough life or whatever." And so I think that he is trying to um, be really deliberate. And I guess it's sort of I guess it, it depends on like how much of the like one for them, one for me game he's willing to play. I'm I'm thinking a lot about his uh, musical performance, which, you know, he's really modeled on Eddie Vedder, I suppose, Mm -hmm. though that's not necessarily what he sounds like or even what he looks like. Whose songs do you like better? Lady Gaga's songs or Bradley's songs or the duets? Oh, I have a Bradley Cooper times a thousand. I think the best song in the movie is When the Sun Goes Down, The Band Won't Play which is called Always Remember Us This Way that she sings. Yes. I think that's the best song in the movie, but I think overall the songs that that yeah. were written for him 
are like more artful. I mean, there's a lot of like kind of rude commentary about pop music in this movie. Yes, there is. And the songs that they, that she sings after she gets famous are notice, noticeably worse than the ones that like are you see yes. her like going through the act of songwriting. So it's it's really dismissive of her art form, which is weird to me. I don't understand that choice at all. I that I said this earlier, but it's the big flaw in the movie for me. There's no reason that she has to be a shitty pop star. Because you have Gaga, and the movie really is commenting as much as it's commenting on Bradley Cooper's text. It's also commenting on Gaga, and we know that the stuff about the nose, and she was told that she couldn't um, be a pop star because she looked a certain way for a long time. And then she became Lady Gaga, who is an excellent pop star. She's not my cup of tea, but has been really successful and is a lot more interesting than what they showed in the movie. And in the movie, she's just crappy. And then her, like, bad SNL performance is what causes Bradley Cooper's character to start drinking again, which, I I mean, really? Do we need that? I mean, that song does suck. I mean, it does suck, but I just <laughs> I have don't... a lot of thoughts about yeah. this. I, the thing is, is that no one is ever good on SNL, so I've been trying to figure out if the message there is that every SNL performance is bad, so it's hard to tell if this song is even good. That song's um, bad. Sure. N- no question. And I agree that she is cl- absolutely deemed to be a pop star, and also that... The movie equates being a pop star with being shallow, mm-hmm. selling yourself out, all of this sort of – it's a truly raucous movie in the in the real sense. And it's weird that that we're all so excited about it in a lot of ways because the music that Jackson Maine makes, for the most part, unless you want to draw a direct correlation between him and like Eric Church, there's nobody who makes that music that is famous right now. There's nobody who makes soulful country rock yes. on a mainstream level. That people love. It would be nice if Jason Isbell became a little more famous yes. because of this. He wrote Maybe It's Time. Yes. And it's definitely just a Jason Isbell song that Bradley Cooper's karaokeing, And it's wonderful. Yes. I, Jason Isbell and Lucas Nelson, Willie Nelson's son, clearly were the two people helping Bradley Cooper make yeah. these songs so good. And they are so good. And maybe sometimes, it's funny, we always talk about how like NBA players, um, if they were soccer players, like which one would be the best soccer mm-hmm. player because they mm-hmm. have native skills. I wonder if more movie stars tried to be singers, mm-hmm. if we'd get like better rock stars you know there's something like is there like a some sort of you know skill gap going on where people are in the wrong job maybe if Bradley Cooper wholly committed to rock and roll we'd have more rock and roll in the world right now but there is there is something kind of unseemly about all of the this woman's inauthenticity ruined our marriage and drove me to drink again um but that is also true to kind of the text of A Star Is Born yes you know that is that is what is a big part of the, the previous iterations of this story I guess I don't know if there was a way around it, maybe just give Lady Gaga better songs. I think so, I, because I think this movie makes, this movie is about Bradley Cooper. And and this movie is about his, that character's decline and falling apart. And you could still make it about a great man not being able to deal with his demons and also his lack of fame and give her good songs and make her a credible pop star. Like, the the basic arc of Jackson Maine is the same even if Lady Gaga is better at her job. I, I think they also just, they take away dimension from her character so quickly. Like, she also could struggle a little bit more with, but like, you know, and, and there's, like, the motions of her, mm-hmm. like, having a hard time, like, oh, is this happening to me? Or, like, oh, I don't know how to sing with the backing track. But they abandon everything about, like, her insecurities. Like, that's just not a part of the second half of the movie. She's never, she, like... He's the one who comes back to um, her physical appearance, but she doesn't. And I find that very weird. And she also um, just so quickly overcomes her inability to sing her own songs. I mean, I've seen Coyote Ugly. It seems a lot harder than that, you know? <laughs> and so <laughs> I, I thought that was a I thought that was a real flaw. And I think part of the problem is Gaga as a pop star is just a confident performer. Like yeah. she right. has she doesn't seem to be um 
like lack for confidence anymore, which is awesome. And one of the reasons I like watching her perform. But in terms of her, in terms of playing Allie, I thought that was a real flaw. I actually thought the, I thought that she is like her performance is better in the second half when she's playing a pop star. I thought it was hard to believe her as like a nervous, young, timid woman. Um, but it, I think the character is more developed in the first half. The most appealing part of the movie for me by far, and many people have said this is the first hour, and the reason that I'm so enchanted by the first hour is because it's just about them coming together and them mm-hmm. figuring each other out. And there's something kind of inert about the back half of the movie where it decides, like, well, their love is true and unbreakable, and so there is ultimately no conflict other than his conflict. Mm-hmm. Like, she doesn't really have a conflict. She doesn't really have a problem. Even when she's making music that maybe she doesn't exactly want to be making, she doesn't evince that to us. Even when she has to cancel her tour for him, she doesn't, we never see her anguished over that or frustrated by it. Even when, uh, you know, ultimately what happens to him happens to him, it's not really, there's something kind of like fait accompli about that. And so the movie kind of stops being hers in any significant way and she becomes a pawn. I do feel like in the first hour of the movie, though, when we're getting to know her and we see her in the drag club and we meet her father and we meet the guys surrounding her father and you see they're all watching the video on YouTube and figuring out what the view count means, that feels much more like, her movie as much as his. Mm -hmm. Yes. And as soon as it gets away from her and into his struggle, I think he's very effective. And it's, I agree, Amanda. I I think he's absolutely the front runner for best actor right now. But I I, I don't know. Do you think that was a miscalculation to just kind of start to remove her slowly from her own story? I think so. And I think the second half does drag, as Juliet said. And it is because, I mean, for me, And for anyone who knows the plot of Star is Born, which I've since learned, a lot of people didn't know the plot of Star is Born before seeing this movie. But if you know what's coming, it's and I think even in the movie, if you don't know what's coming, you can sense what's coming. It does have this inevitability and it's really, really fixated on him. And I think to some extent, that's why I'm a little resistant to the Sam Elliott scenes. Not so much the scenes. Sam Elliott is wonderful. I I don't want to get yelled at. But all of that backstory and everything, it just, we get it, you know? It's the most expository part yeah, of the Yeah, and you don't totally need it, and it kind of feels like he's working out some of his own issues, as you alluded to, through these character things. And and it is a sidetracking from the story of the two of them. And it, it, it slows down a bit. Have any of you guys ever visited a pecan farm? Yes, of course. Wow. Well, I, I, my grandparents have pecan trees, so, okay. yeah. Is that a farm, though? It's not a farm. Okay. Um, did you notice that in the mule trailer, Clint Eastwood yeah, is— also pecans. Yeah, yeah. it's pecans. That's, uh, that's called viral marketing. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. Good job by those guys. <laughs> guys, what's your uh, what's your lasting takeaway, your favorite scene from this movie? The first thing, when, when they sing Shallow for the first time, in Nicole's the parking around lot. stage. No, oh, oh, no, on, on stage. 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 Yeah. Okay. It, that's an all-time movie scene. That is—I have seen that movie a thousand times in the trailers, and kind of we all made jokes of it in the trailers, and I didn't really think Shallow's— 100% worked I wanted to talk to you specifically yeah. about this because you pointed out when the song first leaked, you were like, this kind of just feels like three songs Frankenstein yeah. together and it doesn't work. And the truth is, is it, it basically it is. is two songs Frankenstein yeah. together. And I thought that was so beautiful in the plot. It made that song make so much more sense to me because she's just taking something she'd written before with something she basically freestyles <laughs> yeah. in the parking yes. lot and makes it into this triumphant, extremely catchy and sort of like it's it it is in the full time rotation of like shower humming for me. Yeah. You know, where I'm just like, how did this get into my head again? There's something incredible about that. But the trailer didn't ruin that scene for you in any way. No, not at all. For me, it was a little bit like when you go to a concert and you're waiting for someone to play the hit song or your favorite song, yeah. and that moment where it finally happens. And I and I had this moment of like, oh my god, it's happening. But there is also something about 
this song is written to the rhythm of the movie. Like there is even like a weird extra uh, five seconds in the bridge that is so that Lady Gaga can walk up to the front microphone to do the big oh. And it doesn't totally make sense on its own in the song, but when you're watching in the movie, it's perfect. And I I have seen it twice now and cried both times. And I have seen that scene a thousand times in the trailer. I just think it's tremendous. It, I mean, an all-time great scene. Great storytelling. Movies can be truly great. Amanda, Juliet, thanks for doing this. Sure. When we come back, we will learn that movies can also be incredibly weird with Andrew <laughs> Gadadaro and Lindsay Zolheads. Let's take a quick break. Hey guys, it's Liz Kelly, here to tell you that we have a brand new podcast called Halloween Unmasked, premiering Monday, October 1st. Here's a sneak peek. There's trouble in the suburbs. A teenage girl named Lori Strode crosses a quiet street toward an ordinary house to find her friends. But Lori doesn't know that her friends are dead, and she doesn't know that she's walking right toward the masked killer, Michael Myers. The movie is Halloween. And Halloween just, it was like a, it was a breath of fresh, putrid air. He's a pure, unknowable evil. I'm film critic Amy Nicholson, and this is Halloween Unmasked, a podcast series from The Ringer celebrating the remarkable and terrifying rise of America's most revolutionary horror film. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts to Halloween Unmasked and watch your back. I, I think the scariest part was that he doesn't die at the end. So when you're 10, it's like, that guy's still out there. <laughs> we, we gotta get him. <laughs> We're back on The Big Picture, and I'm so excited to be joined by my colleagues, Andrew Gretadaro. Hey. And Lindsay Zolads. Hi. I know that both of you guys love this movie as much as I do. I want to first get your emotional responses to when you first saw it. You both saw it last night. Tell me, Lindsay, when you came out of the theater, how did you feel? I was crying. <laughs> and I went to the ladies' room, which was just every woman who was in the theater was, like, fixing her eye makeup and still sobbing a little bit at the mirror. <laughs> Um, so it was like a lovely communal experience, but it really, it kind of leaves you right on the tearjerker note and the ending I thought was, was beautiful, but also there was no beat to like clean your eyes up a little bit. It That's really true. just like leaves mm-hmm. you with the deep sadness and then throws you back out into the cruel world. Yes. Hard credits, big song, and then mm-hmm. you have to leave the house. Yeah. Um, how many times did you cry? I think two you said you cried four times. I did. And I do. Four, I just know which is, every. <laughs> every I think I might have had a weird morning wow. uh, when I saw it, but uh, the 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 minute that they the minute that they were having their moment in the parking lot, I was like, oh no, like, <laughs> I've lost a kind of control of myself that I usually have in movies. Um, it's definitely like a movie that men will cry at, which yes, I, yeah. I love that. It, there's a lot of just there's sadness. Brother, brotherly repressed love, really sad dog stuff that we will talk about. But um, it's it's all the beats of like I almost feel like more men will cry at this movie than women. I think that's which right. Is great. I've not. Ne- I could never endorse something more than a movie that can fit that description. <laughs> Andrew, as a fellow man, were you? Yeah, uh, no, I agree with that assessment. Okay. Um, the the Sam Elliott driving away 
after Bradley oh, Cooper tells him that he's the one he idolized was like the one that got me. It's that's brutal. Also, oh Sam my god! Elliott for best supporting actor, I'm like starting the Oscar campaign yeah. right now. He's so good, fully on board. So we should talk about that. So Sam Elliott obviously plays his brother, and also Bradley Cooper has entirely emulated his performance on <laughs> Sam Elliott's human being. You know his act, his voice, yeah. his affectations, his look um, to some extent. And there's something really weird about that because Sam Elliott is a good 24 years older than Bradley Cooper. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But somehow, by dint of storytelling, they kind of make you believe it. Yeah, they explain it. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's like a, I was really happy about he's that. He's my half-brother, and <laughs> he moved to a far pecan farm because he had a midlife crisis. There's a lot of explaining. I noticed in um, Manola Dargis's review of the movie that she was like, Bradley Cooper really seems to be going out of his way to do exposition on this movie. Mm. Did you guys feel like there was too much information at any given time? A few times, but I also welcomed it. Um, and I felt like a lot of the exposition was really odd. Yeah. Uh, the whole thing where he was like, his father was 63 when he gave birth and his mother was 17 <laughs> and died <laughs> in childbirth. We were just, Those are just throwaway lines yeah, too. Yeah, yeah like I, I think if anything, I wanted more exposition. Right, yeah. That relationship. <laughs> should, we, should we try to get the prequel going at Ringer Films? The sort oh, of, hell yeah. yeah. The Jackson, the main family Yeah, saga? I want to know. I also want to know their like father son band and yeah, like what yeah. that looked like. But the young Sam Elliott is just played by Sam Elliott. <laughs> yeah. no, just young actors in Sam Elliott. I think he's always been that age. He does. Yeah. He has. I, I, it, there are some movies in the seventies pre mustache mm. Sam Elliott. Weird. Um, that are are really off putting, but also kind of amazing. But he doesn't. He seems like a different man, even though he has that striking voice. So you mentioned that you know that exposition is kind of odd. I think the weirdness of this movie is one of its great merits. I think it's one of the things that makes me like it so much. Aside from the obvious, there's a lot of heartstring tugging mm-hmm. going on. What stuck out to you guys as some of the stranger choices that Bradley Cooper may have made for this movie? Okay, well, he touches Lady Gaga's face repeatedly in this movie. <laughs> and her nose in particular. Yeah. I, I, was, I was saying it to you earlier this morning, Sean. She's covered in frosting Twice in this movie. There are multiple times where she's covered in frosting. He rubs a donut on her face for an extended amount of time. It's just like, what? In my notes, I see Bradley Cooper has nose fetish. (laughs) 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 There's a lot of sensual touching of the nose and kind of what the nose signifies about her character, too, which we can go into. So here's my defense of that thing. Yeah. Uh, Let's hear it. I think that Cooper, to his credit, and maybe Eric Roth and the other screenwriters on the film, were trying to make an effort to say, this is what relationships are actually like, where you do something when you have that early flirtatious moment, and then it becomes this ritual in your Mm -hmm. relationship, Mm -hmm. where you have a nickname, and you always return to it 30 years later. I mean, I know I have that in my relationship, where like things that we said to each other when we were young, we still say to each other. However... It's very hard to make that stuff seem reasonable when you've got two huge, massive superstars who are supposed yeah. to be kind of perfect all the time. This mm. movie is about a lot of their imperfections, obviously. But I don't know, were you were you thrown off by the nose thing or did you like it, Lindsay? I liked it in because also it's in the context of the character Allie saying, you know, everyone in the music industry, early on in the movie, she says that everyone she's met in the music industry has told her her nose is too big and that's why she can't be a star. And so much of this movie is also meta-textual about 
Lady Gaga mm-hmm. and Bradley Cooper's star personas. And so in that moment, that's also Lady Gaga saying, people told me my nose was too big, uh, which also was something that people told Barbara Streisand, who played this role before her. So it's just so much of this movie. I think I, I was saying it. it's both this emotional escapism and like a very well put together, just like Hollywood crafted thing. But then on another level, it's so meta that it's disorienting and you're just like, what, (laughs) who wrote this line? What are they trying to say? But yeah, I do. So I do like the nose thing because I think there is, there's both like the silly meme part of it. And then there's just like a lot of commentary around that too. For sure. Which is what I think this movie does at its best. Yeah. I think image is a huge part of the story Mm -hmm. that they're trying to tell. I want to, I want to talk, if we're going to talk about faces a little bit about um, Bradley Cooper's face. (laughs) So Bradley Cooper's face is very red in this movie. Yeah. It is beaten. It is like he has been like huffing gin for days. <laughs> and do you think that that's just a lot of makeup? Do you think he methoded his way into that look? How do you think he arrived at that place? It's probably a little bit, bit of both. I, I, Every time he drank, I got the feeling that he was actually drinking. Every time he did anything as Jackson Maine, I got the impression that he fully thought he was Jackson Maine. I think he's Bradley Cooper is sober now, though, right? He is sober. Because yeah. I, I kind of don't understand how one's face could get that <laughs> without actually it's pretty imbibing impressive. a lot yeah. of gin. Um, but I guess maybe he just like weathered his face, like st- stood in heavy weather. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. Yeah. He visited a sandstorm. Yeah. 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 It's a weird. It's a really weird choice. I don't know. What are some other weird choices? I mean, just the, the voice in general is he's committing so hard to it. And there are points where he's just like, and you're like, what? He's incomprehensible. (laughs) And you really don't know what he says and no one goes back to it. Um, He's going so hard in a way that I love. Yeah, I wrote that he, it's as if his tongue has been stung by a bee. You know, it's like (laughs) you can't get it out of its own way. And so it's interesting in a movie like this to have moments where the the star, the lead character, you just can't understand him. You just Mm -hmm. don't know what he's driving at. I mean, obviously we see that he's, very fucked up. But aside from that, long stretches of him stumbling around rooms and saying things that you don't understand. And in the the New York Times magazine profile of him, uh, he talked about how he did sort of physically transform like the way he held his body and his throat to get his voice like this and was like initially in pain, which is incredible, but also such a encapsulation of like Bradley Cooper in this movie and how much work and work he's putting in and how much he wants you to see the work that he's putting in both to directing and co-writing this but also to playing this role that feels you know it's a role he wrote for himself to to embody and there's just a lot of work going on in the voice in the body language in the guitar playing he learned how to play guitar for this movie and like yeah. it was pretty good yeah. yeah I was gonna say he's kind of he's a pretty yeah. incredible musician in general <laughs> yeah. it's just so earnest in a really rare way right now like he's going so hard and he wants you to take it fully seriously and he's not really even considering the possibility that you might find it funny yes so i i I mentioned this to you both yesterday it is probably the least Mm self-aware self-conscious big hollywood movie in a long time and i'm wondering if there's any part of you guys that sort of bucked against that or if you were willing to accept it full stop 
Long pause. (laughs) (laughs) An earnest long pause. (laughs) I think it's, the tone of this movie is so strange. And it's even stranger that they pull it off. Because I think it's so self-serious that it becomes kind of silly. But then it moves past the silliness to become serious and actually moving again. Yes, that's very well put. Which is so hard to do. It's very easy to do self-seriousness into like so good it's bad. I mean, that's my favorite genre of movie. Yes. And this is not that. But I do, I think there are elements of Gaga's performance that are self-aware. Um, even though she, I think part of why she's so good in this movie is she's an incredibly earnest artist too. I think we tend to think about her with these big personas and an artifice, but underneath it all, I think what's always been driving her is this very earnest theater kid love of putting on a show and music and there's something kind of old school and throwback about her in the same way that there is about someone like Bradley Cooper. But I think there are just parts where she's bringing, like I love the parts where where she'll kind of, something crazy will happen. Like when she has the frozen peas on her hand and she'll be sort of like along for the ride and then suddenly be like, what the hell am I doing? And the character is saying that, but it's these little uh, asides to the audience almost. Those got really big laughs in the theater um, it just her those little muttered asides played really well. And I do think there is a level of self-consciousness to the way she delivers that. Yeah, I want to see the shooting script to see how much of this was there versus how right. much of it was her just kind of breaking in the moment and saying something that was naturally charming. Yeah, we were talking about that with the with the socks. The socks. <laughs> like, Let's talk about the socks. <laughs> Andrew, can you like let's set up the scene there. So, if I remember correctly, Bradley Cooper is with Allie's, sorry, Jackson Maine, let's call him yeah. what, yes, what his real please. name is. Um, Jackson Maine is, is with Allie's manager. So who, evil, by the way. Such who is character. an evil man from the UK. Yes, the embodiment of British <laughs> sleaze. And um, Jackson notes, he says, oh, you're not wearing socks. <laughs> you know, he's, he's <laughs> like... You're not something else. There's like a lead into it yeah. sort of about his drinking, and then he totally deflects to right. socks. And then he points to the to the man not wearing socks, which then prompts the man to be like, "Well, I am wearing socks. They're these little things." And then the camera pans to the man's foot. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they <laughs> continue to riff about the socks for at least another minute, and then it moves on. <laughs> It's, like, was that in the script? I do. I would also love to see a shooting script because there were parts of this that felt improvised. But I don't know if Bradley Cooper is the type of director that that would like a lot of the rest of it felt very controlled. Yeah, it's funny. I, you know, Rob Harvilla wrote about Cooper earlier this week on the site, and he noted that there's he's really on this thin line between Academy Award and Nicolas Cage. And yeah. that scene in particular, I was like, what is this? <laughs> like, what What are we supposed to learn from this scene? What are we supposed to glean from these characters? Like, you you sense that there is a kind of iciness between Jackson and the manager character, mm-hmm. but their interplay, like, I guess it's like, well, they don't have much to say to each other because they kind of despise each other, but it would be okay for them to just openly despise each other. There wouldn't be a problem with that. Right. But there's almost like a, a, a an attempt at subtlety in a lot of moments in this movie that weirdly falls flat because it feels like the opposite of subtle. Does that make sense? Yeah, there's nothing that Jackson Maine can do that 
reads as subtle on yeah. screen. Like, <laughs> yeah. just because he's got that Sam Elliott voice yeah. playing opposite the actual Sam Elliott. Like, that's another weird meta thing. I mean, Sam Elliott actually says, you stole my voice <laughs> in the movie. Yeah, I screamed. <laughs> <laughs> it actually happens. Uh, let's talk about another really good performance in this, mo- in this movie, which is a uh, performance by a dog. Oh, oh boy. There's yeah. a very good dog in this movie. Lindsay, you want to talk about the dog? Do you, I don't know if I can without <laughs> crying, actually. So, uh, the dog, Charlie, is played by himself, Charlie Cooper, <laughs> Bradley Cooper's pup. I think some sort of golden doodle, maybe, Yeah, the breed. No, that's... He's like a little golden doodle, yeah. just a sweet, sweet boy, who we just learned earlier today won a special <laughs> award for this film from PETA. The first ever Compassion and Film Award was given to yep. Charlie Cooper and Bradley um, for just being a really good boy <laughs> yeah. on, on screen. Uh, what does that award look like? Is it in the shape of like a bone? What just is- a large bone. Okay. <laughs> it's a big steak. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this, the dog stuff at the, like, that was when my heartstrings were really just uh, the scene before, you know, when he's kind of preparing to leave this world yes. and gives a very large stake to the dog who has yeah. to be encouraged to eat it. Yes. Heartbreaking. And then the shot of the dog, like where you kind of see his like body hanging from the rafters and the dog is like waiting outside. I, I can't even talk about it. So I have a uh, sort of a logistical question about that scene, which is a very <laughs> beautiful haunting moment and very essential to the, the ending of the movie. But is there a doggy door in this house? How'd that dog there get outside? Whoa, yeah. There's got to be a doggy door. Okay. Because that's the only explanation, I, right? It, it, <laughs> this is probably not appropriate, but <laughs> I was very emotional during this movie. I was very engaged. I was really feeling close to it. But when that happened, I was like, how'd that dog get outside? That was my first reaction. <laughs> I and, like the way you're thinking. Well, I'm just, I'm looking for logic in all my yeah. movies for whatever If there's reason. not, that would be a good goof on IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe when we do the rewatchables on A Star is Born 25 years from yeah. now, we'll yeah. put that in the nitpicks category. No, we're going to do that like six months That's, from now. Yeah, honestly, you're it's exactly, the only movie I'm going to exactly right. Um, any other weirdness you guys want to note? What, what other notes did you take where you said, what is going on here? I wrote that he really hates windmills. <laughs> but, <laughs> so, you know... And I, I think I can expound this to a larger point that so much of this movie is about this sort of outdated man getting angry at modernity and the way things are and, and his own obsolescence. Uh, and the, it's perfectly encapsulated not only in the musical stuff, but in the way that Sam Elliott, the older brother, sells the family ranch and now it's a windmill farm. Yeah. <laughs> and that just sets Jackson Maine off. Does Jackson may know that windmills have been around for hundreds of years? <laughs> but they're the really modern-looking kind. That's yeah. true. You know, I hate to say that it's the only thing I think Jackson Maine shares with Donald Trump is the hatred of windmills. Wow. Um, I'll just leave that there. <laughs> but yeah, I liked I liked that. Does Does Jackson Maine have a cell phone? Whoa. I would I would guess no. We never see it if he does. He would definitely have a flip phone if he had any phone. I had this conversation with someone recently um, who had seen the movie, and we were trying to find the real-world comp for Jackson Maine. So I want you guys to help me figure this out. I'll give you some of my theories, and maybe you can give me some of yours. So we get the sense that he sort of arrived on the music scene maybe late 20th century, early 21st century, Mm -hmm. became a big star making soulful pop country rock. Is that right? 
Yeah. Okay. So that period of time is what? It's the strokes. It's the white stripes. Right. Mm. It's the killers, the black keys. It's Nickelback. It's Creed. What are the popular bands in that time? The only band that I could think of where I was like, oh, I, I see what, who could headline Coachella that is like this is Kings of Leon. Hmm. So mm-hmm. is Jackson Maine just like Caleb Followell from Kings of Leon or like, it, because it, it seems like, and it's to your point about modernity, uh, Lindsay, that he's basically just a guy from 1978 that they put in 2018. Yeah, 100%. Right? That's why, like, the Caleb Followell thing, it's like he's just, I guess fame-wise it makes, it tracks, but, like, coolness-wise, it doesn't exactly track. Like, he seems much older than Caleb Followell. Definitely. Does yeah. he seem much cooler? I think he seems less cool than mm-hmm. Caleb Followell. Like, appeals to a less cool audience than, I guess, Kings of Leon did in, whatever, 2005. Right. I guess the kind of guy who would perform a Roy Orbison tribute at the Grammys. Mm-hmm. and With a British guy who sang so much like Roy <laughs> Orbison that it was weird. He was good. Another oddity. Um, I was I was thinking more contemporary. And I, I know, like, a great fact about Bradley Cooper's preparation for this role, as I'm sure you guys know, is he based, he talked to Eddie Vedder a lot and got advice. The first bit of advice, I think, was don't do this. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Bro, don't Um, do this. (laughs) One of the great quotes, maybe the only great quote of this press tour. Bro, don't do this. I'm going to throw out there, I don't think Jackson Maine could be in a band. I think he has to be a solo artist. Okay. Uh, he would be a terrible person to be in a band with Mm -hmm. because he can't cooperate with anyone. I was not to like, I was getting a little bit of like Eric Church vibes from him, yes. although that's yeah. maybe too country. But the real kind of outlaw country guy. Um, I also think a larger part of this movie is like I don't know that Bradley Cooper has the firmest grasp on the modern music scene, and I think <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> that comes through more in the Alley character than in Jackson Maine. But I did not really find this movie to be any sort of you know as a music critic did not find a lot of deep commentary on like the way the industry is right now let's let's use that as an opportunity to pivot to Allie yeah. and Allie's pop stardom ladies um, and gentlemen Allie uh, <laughs> Alec one Allie is the, the worst name for yeah. pop star that I've ever so heard bad. in my life L- let's also think about a world in which this is a movie directed by Clint Eastwood starring Bradley Cooper and mm. Beyonce yeah that Ooh. is almost what happened and didn't happen. I think it's pretty merciful that it didn't. I don't think it would be half as funny or even half as emotionally engaging if it were. But what did you guys make of sort of the alifying of Lady Gaga? One, it happened really quickly. Yes. Yeah, in, a, in a way that was jarring. It happened while I was in the bathroom. Which really <laughs> and also Dave Chappelle's. Yeah. Enjoy, that's a whole other thing. But yes. Um, yeah. Like, I think the first hour or so of the movie covers like a week at most and then the next hour covers maybe years or a year time is very fuzzy and things just start happening boom 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 i think that's part of why the first hour is such like a perfect piece of movie and then the Mm -hmm. second hour is a little you know it kind of loses you here and there yeah and we i i guess we we've been debating whether ali's supposed to be a good pop star yeah what do we what do we think (laughs) No. <laughs> it's very hard to say. She gives a kind of classic SNL musical performance yeah. in the movie that is clearly bad and clearly um, kind of misarranged and phony. And I loved it. It's meant to reveal that, you know, Jackson is authentic and real and Allie is 
leaning into the commercialism of pop music and she's lost her way or whatever. It, it's it's a kind of like, this is not a Poptimist movie by any means, but it's weird because everybody is kind of bad on SNL. So it's plausible that if she were in, we saw her in the studio more making records more. The, the one time when we see her at the piano doing basically a Lady Gaga thing, mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. I'm like, I like that song. Right. That song is good. So it's kind of hard to know how, how good Allie really is. Yeah, it does feel to me though, I think the whole Allie persona is the weak part of the movie to me and it feels like a wasted opportunity when you have Lady Gaga, who's really one of the most visually inventive pop stars of the last decade. Um, And Allie, like it does feel to me like a creation of Bradley Cooper as as is literally everything in the film. And uh, I just don't, like her fashion is really bad and her hair is weird and she like the first outfit she's wearing with the sequins and the polka dot skirt is like (laughs) forever 21 sale bin it's very it just like looks cheap and weird too so the idea i don't know i think that he there is an idea that pop stardom is easy in this and i don't think that's true uh and I don't think Allie, there's no reason for us to believe as a modern audience that, that Allie would, you know, suddenly win the Best New Artist Grammy and uh, <laughs> which Halsey. Halsey passes the torch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah so I, 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 that's the biggest question mark I'm left with. And, and in playing that part, is Gaga repudiating her past a little bit or is she kind of just sticking with the script that was given her? Because I don't. I don't necessarily think that we're meant to think by the end of the movie she completely abandons that aesthetic. The closing moments of the film, though, there's a kind of elegance to her final performance. And I think she's dyed her hair back, right? Which is a little bit... And yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm at a loss. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's, let's end on this. Who's debut single are you more likely to spend American currency on Jackson Maine or Allie Maine Andrew uh, I'm gonna listen to Jackson Maine more Lindsay <sighs> don't make me choose <laughs> I mean the the Allie songs were not peak Gaga I think I'm gonna choose the like Allie's well who am I kidding I'm gonna choose Shallow <laughs> Yes, like the duet. duet. That's true. That's fair. That's the correct answer to this question. Okay. It's time to let the old ways die. Lindsay Zolads, <laughs> Andrew Gredadaro, thank you for doing this. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this A Star is Born themed episode of The Big Picture. Please check us out later this week where we have another episode with the first-time writer-director Ike Barinholtz. You may know him from The Mindy Project. He's got a very funny, very interesting, surprisingly thoughtful satire coming out called The Oath. And if you want more on A Star is Born or the movie Venom, please go to TheRinger.com where we have been covering those movies exhaustively. Until then, see you next week.